Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Smash Accept Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore DadFF. Joined, as always, my partner in crime, Mung. We are five episodes away from 100 pods. You know, we've been through it thick and thin over the years here, or, you know, year plus. And man, I mean, there's so many fond memories. We're trying to plan a, a fun episode for that that 100th episode. Everything just keeps growing. The Patreon chat keeps growing. And um, I mean, there's a lot of things to be excited about with Smash Except right now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I feel like this has been one of the silver linings of the pandemic where we kind of came together, uh, really started gelling with the podcast. And it, I can't believe we're almost to that centennial mark. Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing was, and like I said, you know, we started out and I was doing a solo pod and I started talking to you and John and, you know, like we started our own group chat and that's where this whole thing came out of. And then we started the Patreon chat, and that thing is just blown up. I mean, there are 75 people in there right now, just nonstop Dynasty trades. And, and the guys just keep saying every time. And every pod, two or three more people are like, yo, what's going on? i got to be a part of that. If you're tired of your girlfriend, your wife, your coworkers, your parents hearing about your Dynasty trades and they don't care, this is the one place they will actually care. Go in there and like reassess each other's team, have fun with it. It's fantastic. Um, guys, I got my new draft board behind me. Draftkits.co, that's .co. You guys need to go over there. 10% off if you use code SMASH. We're going to have a lot of live drafts this year. You know what I mean? COVID's out of the way. It's time to have a live draft. You know, we got to do those kind of things. And I think our draft boards this year look phenomenal. This is my kids' board behind me. And, guys, it, it is going to be just a fun year to draft. Mung, I know you use yours for your auction league. Do you want to talk a little bit about you know the quality? I mean, th- everything they do from the packaging down to the little things of draft cards and spots to put your auction values to you know the player labels. It's just top notch the whole way across. Yeah, we've used it for auction league for a couple of years now. I'm excited to get mine in the mail. I think it's actually being shipped as we speak. But uh, just a ton of options and super cheap. I think the large ones are only like 22 bucks, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, ton of options. Like I-, I believe they have IDP even. Absolutely. Um, and they have Dynasty as well. If you're looking for a, a bit more complicated leagues, if you're starting up a, a home Dynasty league for the first time. Um, but yeah, I mean, great quality, no, no misspelled players, no missing <laughs> players like uh, we've had in the past with some draft boards for some of our leagues. But uh, yeah, can't can't talk about it enough. Uh, pretty cheap. Again, 20 something bucks for the large options and super great. Yeah. Code smash guys gets you 10 percent off. I mean, Mung, I always went on there and I bought my my draft boards on eBay before, you know, we teamed up with them. And I always had, there were players missing. And, you know, Javante Williams is spelled wrong. And there's, like, so many different things in there. And you're just, like, it just holds back, you know. And I remember the one year, they're, like, Tom Brady's sticker was missing. You're, like, come on. Out of all the players, you're missing Tom Brady. Like, <laughs> you know, and we walk up to the draft board. You go to put your sticker on, and your QB1 is missing. You know, and that's just not not professional, guys. Go over to draftkits.co. Monk, 
it's Scott Fishbowl time, and we started drafting on Monday. I absolutely love my draft right now. I mean, you know, I, I'm in the Philadelphia division. Shout out to those guys. Uh, and, you know, we're in round seven already. You know, it's just been a ton of fun talking with the guys. And we're going to talk running backs today. I, you guys knew from the word go, I was going to go robust running backs and get some studs early. And I ended up getting McCaffrey in the first, Tom Brady in the second, and then just thrilled to get Dalvin Cook in the third. I got Mike Evans to, to pair up with Tom Brady, then T. Higgins and Mac Jones. It's just been fun, you know, trying to build. And no matter what you do in Scott Fishbowl, you're going to have a team that's got a hole somewhere. And you got to figure out where that hole is because of the size of the league, the number of starters, and everything that's in there. So it, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I think more so than any other format, uh, Scott Fishbowl, I think I tweeted this out yesterday too, where the ADP just doesn't matter, right? Because every 12-person division is so vastly different in terms of how people are going to draft because of the crazy scoring and, and all that. But yeah, I mean, we're seeing running backs flying off the boards earlier than usual in this scoring format. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the running backs we're talk we're going to talk about tonight are, are going to be potential league winners in this format, especially. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think every league is so different. I'm seeing some leagues where, you know, Joe Mixon went in the fifth round, and then I'm seeing some where, like, I saw Lamar Jackson go mid-second in this format, and I'm just like, what is happening? Like, it's just so crazy. League to league, you'd have that kind of variance. But anyways, let's jump in to our running back situation here. So the next thing we wanted to move on to is, is talk about these running backs. You know, we have a new top 12. I was looking at, at Fantasy Pros, and I know you have your, your rankings over there at Fan Tracks that everybody can check out. We're really working on getting, you know, smash accept rankings out there. But if you guys go onto my, my Twitter handle, you guys can see my rankings. But we're going to talk a little bit here uh, based off of how they have things and then, and then break it down a little bit. You know, I mean, right now they have Jonathan Taylor in – one, which everyone does. I personally have Jonathan Taylor in a tier of his own. I believe that Jonathan Taylor is the only guy that you should be spending a first-round startup pick in Superflex format. I feel like you know, you're know you almost stretching to get one of these other guys in that area. So I personally have him in a tier of his own before we start talking about his value. Is that how you see it, or do you have anybody else up in that same tier? Um, in Dynasty or? Dynasty, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Taylor's the RB1 just because the lack of available workhorse running backs and then also just because he's young and hasn't had any recent injury issues. But I, I think it's really close between him and, you know, the the rest of the top six or seven. And, and that's why, you know, you always preach the, the insulated trades where if you can get another top running back plus a first-round rookie pick, I mean, the only reason that Taylor's uh, value is so universally high is because he hasn't had an injury yet or a major injury. And, and that's all really just down to luck, right? I mean, a bad ankle sprain can happen to any player, any time. Mm -hmm. and, and so, it, again, yes, he's the clear RB1, but you know, not by a huge, huge margin over guys like McCaffrey or Barkley or Najee, you know. Yeah, and I, I think what we want to get down here is, I mean, Jonathan Taylor has been phenomenal over his first two years. We can't we can't go against that. You know, I was looking, Heath Cummings put out running backs that have over 15 
fantasy points per game in the last two seasons. Derrick Henry, 21. Kamara, 21. McCaffrey, 21. Dalvin, 20. Austin Eckler, 19. And Jonathan Taylor's in there at 19.6. Crazy thing is, I mean, we're talking the first two years of his career. These other guys, you know, started out 2017 and they're, you know, they're in their prime. That is what really separates everything from Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I think Jonathan Taylor in a in a points per carry league is well deserved in that top seven, eight spots. You know, like I still want to get those quarterbacks in there, but I can definitely see where when you're adding the amount of carries and the amount of volume that he's had, the amount of touchdowns. I mean, let's look at some of the stuff here. The good when it, when we're talking about Jonathan Taylor this past year. 36 catches on 39 targets. You know, that's a 92.3 catch percent. I think that's something that we were worried about when he was coming out of college. Now he's at least getting in that 30. As I want my running backs to have at least 30 receptions. You know, the, the Derrick Henrys of the world and the, the Nick Chubbs, he's not in that mold because he's catching 30 passes. I could see him catch up to 50 passes this year. Uh, the, the other crazy thing is with the amount of carries that he has had, only one fumble lost this past season. I mean, he is pretty much the epitome of taking care of the football field of the football. And there isn't a lot of competition there. You know I mean? Like he is going to be that primary ball carrier. We know if he doesn't get injured, he's going to be in that top three to five running backs. We also know no one over the last 10 years has finished RB one back to back season. So, you know, there, there's definitely that too. He could be the first one. We say that every t- every year, some of the negatives we can look at on Jonathan Taylor, you know, he accumulated, and this is, we, we count this against so many people, but I've never heard anybody talk about it with Jonathan Taylor. He accumulated 51.5% of his PPR finishes from, or total, from weeks 13 on. You know, we talk about it all the time with players of, oh, well, they did this in this area, right? We talk about it with Mark Andrews a lot, right? We say, well, it was this situation here. And we say, he literally had half his points over the final four weeks of the season. You know, and that's, that's absurd. Uh, 43.1% of his total rushing yards was over a three total game period. So he had some some beastly games that won you weeks. I mean, there were weeks where Jonathan Taylor put up over 50 fantasy points and there was no scenario where you lost that week. I mean, it was just a lock. Um, what do you think as far as, you know, do you see any of the any of those scenarios where it's like, we don't, we don't talk about that a lot when it comes to Jonathan Taylor, how much production was done in those three, four game stretch? Yeah, I mean, and if you want to narrow it down even further, it's that five-touchdown game where they upset Buffalo, right, where everybody bet on the Bills, and the Colts went into the Bills stadium and just completely demolished them. And I I think partially that's why he's so overinflated in terms of the pure total production that we saw from him last year. But at the same time, you know, like you said, a, a talented running back behind a good offensive line like Taylor is, he's going to have those multi-touchdown games, and that's why we want that production for those just absolutely weak-winning performances. So I, I think it's it's important to take a look at both sides and kind of take the balanced approach, right? We know that he can be an every-week top-five running back, but perhaps we should also not quite expect – you know, the the, to- the point total that we saw from him in 2021, perhaps they do throw it a little bit more with Matt Ryan there. Mm-hmm. We know that they certainly did not trust Carson Wentz down the stretch, and, you know, that partially led to him uh, being traded away this offseason. And I know I'm catching a lot of flack because I'm one of the – and I think there, there are people that don't pay attention to what we do at Smash Except where they're – I think I'm one of the – 
biggest proponents of selling Jonathan Taylor. However, Jonathan Taylor is my favorite running back. He is the guy in redraft. He's my 101. I'm not even debating it. I'm taking him. You know, I wanted him in Scott Fishbowl. I am not in any way saying I don't love Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor isn't my RB1. What I'm saying is when a player in a highly volatile position like running back has this kind of value, you can cash in for some serious, serious payback. You know, and I'm looking at, I traded Jonathan Taylor for DeAndre Swift in a 23 first. We see, I have a trade here sent in from at Viking Dave 18. He said he got CD Lamb in a 23 first. You know, and he goes, I'm not, he said, I do have two firsts next year, so this helps. Is it a smash accept? You know, and what do we do in this situation? And I, I got to look at it. If you are not in that, we talk about it all the time. If you're running back heavy and you are not in a position to win, it's time to insulate that team. I would even go as far as to say I would do it for, I would do Najee in a first. I would do CeeDee Lamb in a first. I would do DeAndre Swift, Brees Hall. Like I would do any of those guys that go in that second round Maybe even Javante Williams is a question we've had. I would do those type of moves because we know how good the 23 first class is. And before we go into that caveat, we know where they're located is key. You know, people are willing to pay up for, you know, Jonathan Taylor. But if you get a guy who's in early 23 first, you get Javante Williams, and you would get Bijan next year? Dude. It's a smash accept, absolutely. So that's what we keep talking about all the time is, is trying to make those insulated trades. And it's a matter of cost versus production sometimes. I build my wide receivers, and I want Justin Jefferson for the long haul. I want Jamar Chase for the long haul. I build it where I would draft Jonathan Taylor ahead of those and trade them for those type of players. And you draft players based off of profiles, based off of what kind of value we can get for those players. And I think we're at a point where Jonathan Taylor... He cannot go up too much more from here. I mean, you know, like if he has this similar season as this year, where's he going to move? Five? You know, like he can't move up too much further than where he is at this point in time, Mung. Yeah, and I mean, that can be said of any player, but really uh, we've seen from guys like Todd Gurley and Doug Martin where these phenoms just kind of drop off. And I'm not saying that Taylor's going to do that, but again, if you can get 80% of production plus a first-round rookie pick, I I mean, that's absolutely the way to go. Uh, Again, we're not saying to sell just to sell, but it's all price dependent. Yeah, so let's talk about some of these trades. And this is really, I really wanted to hone in on Jonathan Taylor because – I want you guys to see what is some of that value that you can get, you know, and what can we possibly do? I've referenced this one, but Mason Dodd at the Build Dynasty sent in Javante. He got Javante Williams in a mid-23 first for Jonathan Taylor. I mean, given that situation, is that a move that you would make, Mung? Sorry, give me that one one more time. Javante in that mid-23 first, you know, he's at 5-6 range. Yeah, I think that's fair, especially if uh, you're not contending this year. Um, I, I have some concerns about the workload for Williams just because they re-signed Gordon. Obviously, we know the talents there, um, that elusiveness and the aggressiveness. But, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty solid solid value trade for Taylor. I got another solid one here, and then I have one that you're just going to go head over heels for. So Justin Heck sends one in. Jonathan Taylor and a 23 third and a 23 fourth. Yay. I love when thirds and fourths are in there. You know, like fourths are those ones where I'm just like, 
All right, let's try to get this done. I'll even do that same thing with the thirds. For Michael Pittman, Dallas Goddard, Antonio Gibson, and a 24 first. So I thought this one was interesting because it's a 24. If it's a 23, I'm right there. But you guys know we at Smash Except we love Michael Pittman. Dallas Goddard's solid. Antonio Gibson's solid. Just another example. That one I don't want to break down too much because, you know, it is what it is. But that's multiple starters there. This is the one, Monk. Sent in from Anthony Stevebot. 12-team PPR Dynasty super flex trade Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Hopkins on one side are you ready now we're looking at side two Travis Etienne Davis Mills Drake London uh a 23 first and Sky Moore that is a complete directional shift of your team like that is the type of trade where you just went from Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Hopkins, whose value is going to fall off a cliff even further. You know, he has some value this year, but you just built a whole new team. Yeah, and, and it is worth mentioning that I think this is the one you sent I was looking at earlier from April, right? So I don't think, given the training camp reports out, uh, out oh, of Jackson, Yeah, he's, yeah. he's been skyrocketing. Yeah, so I don't think you're getting three firsts on top of Travis Etienne anymore. But yeah, I mean, these are the types of trades that you want, right? I think people right now, uh, I've seen a lot of hate on Cam Akers. So you might be able to get two twenty twenty three firsts plus Cam Akers for Jonathan Taylor, right? Um, I've seen some hate on other running backs that perhaps you could get multiple first-round picks on top of for Taylor. And those are the trades that you want to pursue. But Again, it's all timing, right? Now now that ETN's market value is up, you, you kind of have to target um, other running backs if you're looking to tear down from Taylor. That's why our episode like five weeks ago was so important. Like The ETN hype had not built up, and I was telling everybody it was getting deals like Eckler for ETN in a first. And we were doing the, – like the guys we nailed in that particular podcast have gone up significantly in their ADP, you know, and like that's where – as we have a program set up here. We're not just out here talking. Let's just talk about a trade. Like, we want you to see what those 23 firsts are worth. And we did a podcast on that. And then we wanted to assess our breakout guys. And ETN was a guy on there. Pittman was a guy on there. Where it's like, you buy those guys ahead of the curve. You insulate those deals. You win, you know, twofold here. Uh, I put a poll out there. Everyone in Smash Except World, who their RB2 was. And surprisingly, you go to most websites, myself... I have this guy as number two, but Christian McCaffrey won the poll here at number two. You know, I personally have, I have Najee above him because of, you know, age and, and, and things in there. But man, Christian McCaffrey is just an interesting one to talk about, Mung, because if you're a win now team, there's no one better than Christian McCaffrey. When he's on the field, he is a lock for 25 fantasy points in PPR. And there aren't too many players you can say that about. However... I think if Christian McCaffrey goes down to another, you know, six to eight week injury or anything like that, we're looking at a steep, steep cliff for him to fall off here. You know, I think he's still going to retain some value because of the talent, but we're in an interesting spot here. Everybody's asking, should I buy Christian McCaffrey? And I think everything's price dependent, but talk to me a little bit about that risk because right now, you know, I'm having a harder time saying go all in until we see it a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on price, right? If you can get a 2023 first on top of McCaffrey for Taylor, then that's a smash except because when they're healthy, we've seen that McCaffrey and Barkley are every bit as productive as Taylor was last year, if not more, right? McCaffrey far outscored 
Taylor on a points per game basis when he was healthy last year. Uh, Barkley was a top five running back in PPR when he was healthy for a couple games coming back from that ACL and now two years removed from the ACL. So, I mean, really, again, these guys are top five running backs um, in redraft. And I understand that the risk is there in dynasty, but the, the point is that running back uh, shelf life is so, so slow. Excuse me. I can't talk today. <laughs> is so short as it is that, you know, these small windows are the championship windows. So again, these are guys that you should be acquiring if you're contending and I understand that you might want to sell if you're rebuilding, but now is not the time. Not the wait game. wait for McCaffrey or Barkley to put up a couple 30-point games in the first few weeks, and then you can sell those guys for probably twice what you can get right now in the trade. The insulation of buying a running back with a 23 first is you can buy yourself another running back. I want to talk about Saquon Barkley here because the value has bounced back, and and. You, when we've talked over the years, you know I love Saquon Barkley. Saquon, I'm a big Penn State guy ever since. But some of the stuff we have to look at here, I mean, over the last, I mean, he's 25 years old, so he has some of that wiggle room there. He's moved back up into that third round, you know, startup value he was in the first two years ago. Uh, yards per carry has gone down pretty much every single year from rookie year at five yards to 19 at 4.6. Not really anything in 2020, down to 3.7. Yards per contact, yards per carry after contact has gone from 2.8 to 1.7. Broken tackles, you know, from 1.1 broken tackle per eight carries to last year, one in every 40 to have a broken tackle. I mean, we're looking at, are you all in because of Dable, because of some of the things that you see, and he's finally healthy? Saquon scares me a little bit. You know, I have tried, again, to, to make some of those moves to to move Saquon Barkley or to buy from the owner who's you know who's frustrated with Saquon Barkley in an insulated type trade. I know you are probably higher on Saquon Barkley than any analyst I know right now and I want you to make your pitch here because I think there's a lot of people out there right now that are same with Christian McCaffrey, right? The best ability is availability and when they're not on the football field, people get frustrated. Talk to me about Saquon and why he's going to hit this year. Yeah, I mean, the risk is there, right? We know the risk is there with McCaffrey and Barkley because they've missed time over the last two seasons. But guess what? This exact same risk is there for Jonathan Taylor. Only people are still okay with his super high value because they haven't seen it yet, right? The injuries that McCaffrey suffered last year, a hamstring and an ankle sprain, and the injury that Barkley had last year, a high ankle sprain after coming back from the ACL. Mm -hmm. Those are injuries that could happen to any running back anytime, right? It's not like they're a Danny Amendola type of guy who constantly gets banged up, right? They're not a Chris Carson where we're worried that they're never, ever going to play football again. I mean, these are just run-of-the-mill, like, nicked-up injuries that running backs accumulate over their career. And again, Taylor's record has been pristine, but that could change at any point. So for me, I'm looking at the production that we can expect when they are healthy. Uh, again, these are not guys who are 29, 30 years old. Barkley's still 25. I believe McCaffrey's 26. But Correct. These, these are running backs still in the primes of their careers. And when you look at workload management for McCaffrey, I'm actually happy that they signed Dante Foreman this year. Um, I don't mind if he takes a few early down carries here and there because – 
guess what? When it's a passing down, when it's a goal line snap, McCaffrey's going to be in there. And those are the money snaps that we care about. If anything, I think Foreman is going to help keep McCaffrey a, a little bit um, or keep the, the wear and tear a little bit down for McCaffrey. And then in terms of Barkley, I know everyone's super excited about Brian Dable. Um, I think that's definitely great for his value because Dable does know that they want to get him into space. That's where Barkley's dangerous. I mean, Mm -hmm. we saw that even Devin Singletary, who I think is a good running back, but certainly doesn't have the elite traits that Barkley has. Um, He was a top five running back down the stretch, and that's the kind of workhorse usage I think we can expect from Barkley. And at the same time, they've made upgrades to the offensive line, but even taking away the addition of Dable and, and the minor upgrades they've made to the line, I, I was high on Barkley even before these moves because when you looked at those two games right before he had that high ankle sprain, he was already a top five fantasy running back for those couple of weeks in a completely dysfunctional Giants offense last year. And really, I, there's barring injury, I don't see any way that Barkley doesn't finish at least top 10 among running backs this year. Yeah, if he stays healthy, I mean, that's definitely in there. And that's where I'm, I'm saying, and that was not me questioning you at all. That was just, I wanted you to get that out there because I think, I mean, I recently made a trade in, in one of my drafts. In my rookie draft, I traded DeAndre Swift, who you know I love DeAndre Swift, but I was able to get Jamison Williams and Saquon Barkley. You know, and for me, that's that insulation that I love that gives me a wide receiver who I think has tremendous upside and a, and a running back that's going to, you know, potentially have that same area. DeAndre Swift is somebody I, I definitely wanted to talk about as well because he's catching a ton of steam. You know, he's a lot of people uh, have him potentially as an RB1 dark horse, you know, and he's he's just, you know, you see the, the camp news, he's shredded. Let's look at some of the things with DeAndre Swift. I mean, he was a top 10 running back when on the field last year at times. Most yards after the catch from last season, you look at the, the top guys on the list, and it's you know it's Cooper Cup, it's Debo Samuel, Jamar Chase, Austin Eckler, Devontae Adams, Godwin, Kelsey, Deontay Johnson, and DeAndre Swift. You know, So like he's in some uncharted area there where with the ball in space, I would argue, and pass-catching abilities – Swift, Eckler, McCaffrey, Barkley, they're in they're in a league of their own. I mean, Kamara. Those are guys that belong up there. And and DeAndre Swift is that kind of running back. But we're looking at the same kind of thing. We gotta look at the value. We gotta look at how that pertains to if he gets it injured again, because he would he missed quite a bit of time there down the stretch. So I want to talk about a couple trades here. All sent in from the same guy, Phil Sorensen. He just kind of did a little bit of a trying to figure out what he needs to do for for DeAndre Swift. So I want you to break them down here. I'm going to go with you first. Would you rather have DeAndre Swift or Joe Mixon and Brandon Ayuk? I would lean the package here um, just because I do think Mixon and Swift produce about the same over the next year or two, barring injury. Um, But again, this one's kind of team dependent. If you're super deep at at wide receiver, Mm -hmm. I have no issue upgrading to the younger running back. Yeah, and you reset the clock a little bit. So I can see that. Twitter had it 52-48. So, I'm, I mean, I agree. I talk about that a lot when I'm, I'm assessing trades, right? It's like when you're talking about these running backs, sometimes it's worth trading a Brandon Ayuk or a second-round pick to reset the clock, you know? And we have another trade that I have here sent in from uh, Connor B. He said, Christian McCaffrey in a 23-second or Najee. In my estimation on that one, it's like I- I'm taking McCaffrey just because I have them like neck and neck. But I can see a scenario where you're adding a pick to an older running back 
to get younger, you know, and to stay in that same tier. And that's what they did there. Uh, the next one, very interesting. And the, and the results of this one kind of blew me away. DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins in a 23 second? Yeah, I mean, this one's Swift for me pretty easily. I, I've talked about Dobbins on previous episodes, yes. I think. Where... No, I know. And it, <laughs> I, I think he's not. It, the, the shocking part was the fact that it was 91 to 9. You know, like to me, you know, like that's almost troll status because we usually only have it. If it's less than 10%, we always have the, the trolls adding in there. But I mean, I, I'm definitely taking DeAndre Swift here. That's not. That's not what I'm saying, but I think you can get J.K. Dobbins in a 23 first. I do think J.K. Dobbins is an interesting scenario because people are like, oh, well, they're finding out there was more damage other than just the ACL. Guess what? Most of the time, and I'm not a doctor, but when there's ACL damage, there's MCL, there's PCL, there's LCL, there's damage somewhere else. It is a very, you know volatile area there where it's like there will be more area more damage so by Gus Edwards if we're saying anything I think J.K. Dobbins is it's creating a little bit more of a buy window because that hype train which was insane I mean it was up almost if you were drafting in June his value was very close to the same as Saquon Barkley which is crazy to me but now we're in a situation I think that's going to back off a little bit Mung I just got Gus Edwards in the 20th round of Smash Except 6. Shout out to those guys. Smash Except 6 has been a blast. Among these leagues are catching on so much. You were, you were in, obviously, Smash 1. I don't think... I, I think it's safe to say you've never seen this many trades. You know, when, when you were in a draft. And that's where people want to... They're asking me to start Smash 7. And at some point, Mung, it's getting so popular. I can't be in all of them to facilitate them. But it's just... <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about your experience through there because, honestly, that, that draft was still one of the most fun drafts I've had. The amount of trades last year was just insane. Yeah, I mean, I mean like you said, uh, the Patreon is just always active, right? It's hard to keep up with even, and you know that's why it's awesome because if you're the type of person who constantly wants to be talking about Dynasty and your league mates aren't as active or, you know, your coworkers, like you said, whoever you're talking about isn't quite as into it, then, you know, you, you can bounce ideas around and there's just constant notifications that I had to mute uh, on my <laughs> phone um, when I'm in meetings and stuff. But really, like, to me, the best thing about a Dynasty League is the offseason activities. So if you're missing out on that, you're kind of missing out on the best part of Dynasty Leagues. And that's why we do promote the Patreon for 12 bucks a year. That's a dollar a month. I mean, uh, like, I know we've been promoting it a lot over the past few episodes, but it, it really is a great deal. And, you know, going back to that, that Dobbins trade, I mean, we've had a lot of discussion about Dobbins, uh, about Gabriel Davis, about some of these players that are really, you know, you either love them or hate them. And that's the place to bounce your ideas off of in terms of trade value and also just 2022 expectations. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, we're starting up a bunch of these leagues. Like the question that I had recently was, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tired of my home league. You know, we don't do anything from February until July or August. You know, like I need to be in something bigger. I need to be in something that's a little bit more bigger than myself. And the Smash Leagues are just that. So, I mean, if you guys are interested in Keep reaching out. You know, we really appreciate all the support in all those leagues and, and how much fun that's been. Um, but the last one here, and this one was Travis Etienne and James Cook or DeAndre Swift. Again, Swift won in this as a 10-team league. 
Uh, but just some ideas of what you can do, you know? Like, I think given – sometimes I look at Twitter polls, Mung, and I'm like, okay, this says 70-30. I might be able to get ATN, James Cook, and a second, you know, and, and start to gauge some of those things. So Twitter polls are nice when you're in that m- manner where you can kind of get a get an idea. The other guy that's a Twitter darling that's in that same tier, and I traded him in Smash Except 6, you know, and, and – I don't want to say I, I uh, regret it because I uh, actually love this scenario, but Javante Williams, you know, he displayed elusiveness that was absolutely elite as a rookie. You know, 31 broken tackles, that was number one in the league. He's in that split backfield situation. We know how it was. Dead even, 203 and 203 both have had almost the, they had the exact same amount of carries last year. We wanted Javante Williams to be free. Melvin Gordon is back again. Has that created a buy window? In your estimation, for me, it has not, Melvin Gordon coming back this year has not changed a single thing as far as dynasty owners look. Everybody sees how how talented he is, but should it have a little bit of effect? If a running back has a two to three year window, or we talk about a rookie guy, maybe four years, we're taking away another year here of full production from Javante Williams. Yeah, it does slightly. And, you know, again, my full rankings are at fan tracks, but just to give the listeners an idea, I mean, my top 10 overall picks in one quarterback dynasty are Taylor, Chase, Jefferson, Pitts, Harris, McCaffrey, Barkley, Javante Williams, and DeAndre Swift. Those are the top nine. And really, they're all super, super close in value by my estimation. Um, I moved Javante down to RB5 behind McCaffrey and Barkley and just ahead of Swift. But really, those top five or six running backs are so close that, you know, if you're contending and you get McCaffrey or Barkley in a second for Williams or Swift, I mean, I would take that all day because, again, we play in these one, two, three year windows because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, Williams could sustain an injury. They could extend Gordon another year. I mean, they could mm-hmm. sign another veteran running back. We just simply don't know. and we. But we do know the talent is there. So he's clearly in that top tier, top 1A, 1B. Um, so, I mean, up in that first, second startup round, it's really tough because it really does depend on your team needs and your you know current situation in terms of contending versus rebuilding. So I, I think there's a lot of flexibility there if you hold any of those top pieces. I mean, I've seen him in recent startups go above Trey Lance, above CeeDee Lamb, uh, above some very talented pieces there that are going to have a little bit more potentially longevity. But, I mean, I, I love Javante Williams. I think he belongs in that, you know, um, Fantasy Pros has him in Tier 3. I think he's really close to that Tier 2. You know, I mean, you have Jonathan Taylor in 1 and 2. It's McCaffrey, Swift, and Najee. And they have him in Tier 3, which Tier 3 is Javante, Mixon, Eckler, Hall, Dalvin Cook. And I threw Saquon in there just for you. I, they have him in Tier 4, and I figured you would you would riot in the streets if I, if I went that <laughs> way. So you played around there a little bit. Um, the funny thing is, one thing I've noticed, and what I did in Smash Six, I took Jalen Hurts at at one twelve. You know, I moved him up, and I was gonna take Trey Lance at two hundred one. I really was, but I, I kept moving back. And my thing I have been able to do is move out of rounds two or three. You know, we talk about this situation where these are the guys that you know they have a lot of upside, but I've been moving into rounds four, 
And in this particular draft, I accumulated three fourths, three sixes, and three sevens by moving out of the two and the three. And then I was like, oh, man, I don't know what running back to take here. You know what I mean? I was like, I, I have Jalen Hurts. You know, I'm in this situation. So I move back, and I move off Brees Hall into a late I, – I took Brees Hall at the end of the second, traded him and uh, for Leonard Fournette in the first – which was awesome because I was like in the in the sixth round, but the fourth round I was like, man, this is going to be interesting. I end up getting Mixon, Eckler, and Dalvin Cook, so I am all in. I'm going robust running back. We have an interesting scenario here with these running backs. I mean, Eckler's 27 years old. The one thing that I want to talk to about him is, you know, I was looking at at some work um, and I saw 2021 running back red zone fantasy points versus expectations. So Jonathan Taylor scored one point more than his expectation last year when it came to the red zone. Okay, it's not very much, right? You got Javante Williams scored 1.8. Nick Chubb, 2.1. Austin Eckler scored 72.8 points over expectations in the red zone. And why does it look that way? I mean, I think this is something that we're not really paying a lot of attention to, but five of the top six six touchdown scorers at the running back position a year ago appear in the top eight above scoring expectation, which isn't surprising, right? If you score more touchdowns, you're going to be in that spot. But we have we have Austin Eckler, who 32.3% of his red zone opportunities, that's carries plus targets, produced a touchdown. One out of every three touches in the red zone. That is third among all running backs all time. He sported 17.8% of his career prior. So we have to expect some serious touchdown regression there. I think uh, Austin Eckler, at 27 years old, hasn't had the same wear and tear as, say, a Dalvin Cook. I love all three of these guys for redraft. I love all three of these guys for a win-now team. Joe Mixon, I think, at 25 years old, is a little bit younger. He was the first guy I took there. Dalvin Cook, given his track record of injuries, was the last guy I was able to take at the end of the fourth round. I love all three of them for a a win-now production. And what I've been telling people is we are moving back. When you take, let's say it's in this particular situation, let's say it's Brees Hall. And I move off Brees Hall, which I love him. I think he's going to be a fantastic back. I think he's a top 10 dynasty running back. But I moved off of him for what was the 6-10, which was Leonard Fournette. And a 23 first. So now I have a scenario where we talk about it all the time about insulating production. I have a win now team. Brees Hall is going to have a fine year, I think. But Leonard Fournette will outscore Brees Hall, period. And we always talk about trying to insulate, you know, moving back and getting 70 to 80% production. Now you're getting like more 110, 120% production of Brees Hall plus a 23 first. To me, I believe that's an absolute smash except. And I know I've been rambling here about some of these veteran running backs because you know it's time to win, and I love these guys. Um, but any thoughts on all of my ramblings there for the last, like, two minutes? Yeah, well, you hit on Eckler, and I, I want to touch on Austin Eckler real quick because I think more than anyone, he is a great, great example of recency bias because la- going into last year, I mean, he his value is where, you know, McCaffrey and Barclays was, right, because – he played a full 16 games uh, last year, but the two years prior, he missed significant time with hamstring injuries. One of those years, I believe it was reported that it was like a grade two or grade three tear where he tore it clean off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 
no one's talking about that because he was fully healthy last year. Well, recency uh, bias is everything because Joe Mixon's the opposite, right? We thought we were we were labeling Joe Mixon a certain way based off of recency bias, where he was going in the sixth round, kind of where you know Fournette's going, and now all of a sudden he's back up in that third because we know, like at the running back position, I feel like we correct and overcorrect so hard that it creates some buy windows. Yeah, and I mean the point that I wanted to raise was he's going ahead of well ahead of Barkley in redraft formats right now. Um I've seen him go ahead of McCaffrey in some drafts um, in redraft. And my point here is that McCaffrey and Barkley's, you know, freak ankle injuries, those are less worrisome to me than the repeated hamstring soft tissue type injuries that Eckler suffered. Um, over the last few seasons, and I'm not labeling him injury prone by any mm-hmm. means, but to me, the concern of those recurring soft tissue type injuries is far higher um, than those ankle sprains and, and the the freak ACLs that can't really be controlled. Now, obviously, the ACL is concerning too because of the re-injury risk, but overall, I, I mean, there's just no reason that Taylor's value should be that much higher because these types of injuries cannot be predicted Mm -hmm. and a track record of health thus far does not preclude any running back from suffering an injury in week one in week three in the fantasy playoffs and again I, i like the strategy of trading back and adding additional rookie picks future year picks um because you're mitigating that risk by adding that value of a safe asset, a rookie pick that won't go down. Um, So I think it's fine to continually trade down to get guys like Austin Eckler and Dalvin Cook. And that's part part of the reason that I'm higher on Isaiah Spiller than consensus is because I do have some concerns about Eckler and and maybe Spiller does see more action than we think, even as a rookie. Um, And the other reason I like... Uh, drafting guys, you know, tearing down to a Dalvin Cook, like you mentioned, who has had a lot of injuries, is because we also want those running backs where we have very clear handcuffs, right? If Dalvin Cook or Ezekiel Elliott go down, if you can get Madison or Pollard for a second right now in the offseason before any sort of injury occurs, then you have that replacement production. When you're talking about a guy like Joe Mixon, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Saquon Barkley, those are backfields that I think devolve more into committee workloads if they go down, right? You have Dante Foreman and Chuba Hubbard um, probably splitting work in Carolina. You got Chris Evans and Samaje Pirine probably splitting work in Cincinnati. And you've got Matt Breda and God knows who uh, in, in New York. Uh, where I, you probably just don't want to be starting any of those guys as more than desperation flexes versus a Pollard or Madison, or I think Spiller, who could be solid RB2s with upside in their stead. So again, I, I think it's important when we talk about these dynasty running back rankings that there are a lot of nuances where it depends on whether you're contending or rebuilding. Um, it depends a lot on what the rest of your roster looks like in terms of depth at the running back position, uh, where, you know, if you've got a Chubb, uh, a Zeke and, you know, a Chase Edmonds even ready to fill in, then I'm fine with consolidating some of your wide receiver depth for a top running back, even with the injury risk. But if you've already got, if you're, if you've got 
you know, Saquon Barkley, and then you've got um, uh, what's a good example? Maybe like a, a Kenneth Walker, who I'm not super high on as a rookie, and you know, some other um, RB two, RB three types who aren't reliable starters week in week out. Then maybe you do want to sell Barkley for a Dobbins plus, um, you know, another. Dobbins plus Edmonds plus a second or something like that if you're contending where you want that depth. So, again, so many of these running back trades are very team dependent. So when you guys send those in, you know, continue giving us the scoring format, your, your roster if possible, contending, rebuilding, et cetera. You, you mentioned a lot of those guys. I mean, those handcuff situations are elite. And one of those situations is, is Minnesota. I think Dalvin Cook this year is my dark horse RB1. I've been saying it for a while. The Dalvin Cook's red zone zone touchdown conversion rate over the last three years. In 2019, he was 12th in the league at 24%. Pretty solid. 2020, 19th in the league at 19.6%. Last year, 38th in the league, less than right at 10% of his red zone touches converting for touchdowns. And I feel like we are going to see a positive touchdown regression here for Dalvin Cook. And I think he is going to, that's why I took him in Scott Fishbowl. He is a huge boom-bust candidate if you have Dalvin Cook. And that's why I feel comfortable when I have Dalvin Cook. I paid two-thirds for Alexander Madison. If you can get him for a late second, two-third, and you have Dalvin Cook, it's still a scenario where you're going to win, you know, and you got to be in that. You don't feel quite like you're taking that risk like you would with Saquon and Christian McCaffrey, like like you were just saying, which was, I, I thought, a great point. The other guy, Mixon, I think, if you can move off of a running back and get those 23 firsts, which are so elite, and get a Mixon and get a Dalvin Cook. I mean, Mixon was phenomenal last year. Dalvin Cook, both these guys, I believe, are top five again this year. You know, And I don't see any scenario where they're not at least RB1s. The final guy in this tier, uh, and I know you're not going to love it. I, I personally do, but it's Brees Hall. Brees Hall they have as you know RB8. I have him all the way up at six. Brees Hall is one of six running backs to ever earn a 99 grade from next-gen stats. The other five coming out of college, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, Melvin Gordon, and Travis Etienne. I mean, those are some those are some elite-type running backs, you know. He's the second most athletic running back to come out since 2006, you know, only which, which blows my mind. Rookie running back has finished in the top 15 in 10 straight years. I think he is that guy this year. Um, and you look at it when we had John Laub on. I mean, he said it was, for him, it's Taylor, Barkley, McCaffrey, and Brees Hall is in that same level of athleticism as far as what he can do on the field mixed with his his both his athletic profile and his production profile. I think Brees Hall is going to be a hit. That's why it bothered me to trade him as much as it did. But year one, I mean, what is a fair expectation for, for redraft for Brees Hall? Currently, he's going from underdog. He's at RB19, so he's you know in that mid-RB2 range. Where do you have him in your you know, in your redraft rankings, and what can we expect from year one? I mean, it's a, it's a t- number 11 overall PFF graded offensive line, so that's solid. We all want to, you know, pump the Jets up and feel like the Jets offense is going to move forward. Michael Carter, I think, it now joins that 
Not quite Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, but he is now an elite handcuff because I feel like Brees Hall is going to get a majority of the work. But Michael Carter has shown in the past that he can get it done as well. So very, very uh, you know, open-ended conversation there for that, Mung. But talk to me about Hall, who I know you're slightly down on. Yeah, and by down, I mean, I've got him at RB10 in Dynasty, right? Like, no one's saying... No, no, no you wouldn't say, like, RB24. Right. Like, no one's saying he's on the do-not-draft list. I mean, you mentioned his production profile and his his athletic score, and I think he's phenomenal. Um, but you also mentioned Travis Etienne, Melvin Gordon on that list, and I, I think it's partially dependent on whether or not he's going to get that sort of workhorse workload, right? He's in that same boat um, as Javante Williams, only we haven't seen him do it yet in the NFL, like we saw Williams being elusive and breaking tackles as a rookie. So that that's why I have Hall slightly lower. Um, but I think the ceiling is there. My only question is, one, you know, with Becton and whether the Jets line gels right from week one, and then two, just how much of the work you know Michael Carter still sees, because I think we all know that Hall is the clear lead back as soon as he steps on the practice field. Um, but I think we also shouldn't underrate Carter because he was good seeing stacked boxes last year. Um, he's a capable receiver, so I do think that you know it's ironic that Gordon was one of those comps because I do think we could see. Carter in sort of that Eckler role when Gordon was a charger and that's my concern because we never saw that elite ceiling from Melvin Gordon and I don't know that we're going to see it um, from Brees Hall especially as a rookie perhaps down the line he does become a workhorse Uh, but really quick going back to to Dalvin Cook I know we mostly talk dynasty here but I do want to mention that I think he's a screaming value in redraft and best ball right now because like you said i don't even think he should be a dark horse for the rb1 i I think he should be in that top tier i've got him ranked as my 103 in redraft right now there we go yes i know john and i were like i he keeps asking that and i'm like no he's my 103 easy yeah and there's an argument for him to be 102 or even 101 if you want to if you want to bring in the factor that you know, if Taylor goes down, it's going to be Hines and Philip Lindsay, who I think is a sleeper, a deep sleeper, uh, if you have the room to stash him in deeper dynasty leagues. Um, but again, you know, McCaffrey to Foreman and Hubbard, those are going to become committee backs. If Dalvin Cook goes down, we know that the handcuff is Alexander Madison, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's an argument for him to be the 101 because you can just tap. Uh, Alexander Madison in round eight, round nine in redraft and just lock it up and have that peace of mind. Whereas you cannot with a Taylor McCaffrey or Barkley. That's good. Uh, I can't do it in my home league because every year I do, they're like, Oh, you know, Mr. Big shot, we're going to take your handcuff. I'm like, dude, you took Alexander Madison in the fifth. Like, why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I mean, obviously league dependent, but I, I mean, he's going at, in the late first right now and a lot of best ball drafts that I'm seeing. So yeah. just, just something that I wanted to bring up while we were on the air here. No, I love it. I mean, I've been, you've been, you've had to hear me really go off about Dalvin cook over the last couple of weeks. And the other guy I've been going off about, and, and we just, the, the hype is out of control. You're not going to be able to buy now unless you overpay. But Travis Etienne, I think is a guy who next year at this time could be, you know, we just listed your, your top 12 and, 
just to recap who that is, I mean, we had Tier 1 is Jonathan Taylor. Tier 2, we're looking at Christian McCaffrey, Najee Harris. Um, help me out here. I'm scrolling back up here. What do we have? McCaffrey, Swift, Harris. Then we're looking at Javante Williams. We're looking at Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, um, Dalvin Cook. You know, And then we, we, we have Brees Hall in there. The guy that I think could jump into the top 12 next year based off of, you know, similar type things we're talking about with Brees Hall. And I was excited. Travis Etienne is one of 12 running backs to earn a 90-plus grade from next-gen stats. 100% of running backs to earn a 90-plus grade have had a top 12 finish in fantasy football. Let me say that again. 100% have had that, you know, at, at some point. He led the NCAA in broken tackles in 2019-2020. And basically... I think we're, we're going to see him utilized. I know a lot of people have put out there the whole, you know, Doug Peterson, Miles Sanders, you know, but I think ETN is going to get utilized. He has the upside. He's almost gotten to a point where he's gone from my biggest buy to potentially getting into that sale area. But I think we're looking at Travis ETN breakout season where he gets into that top 12 dynasty running backs going into 2023. If you had to pick one guy among who's not in this 12, that you believe could be in the top 12 next year, who would that be for you? Yeah, so, I mean, one, just real quick on ETN. I mean, I have moved him up. I think he's my RB12 right now in Dynasty. I like uh, it. The main reason I was worried, you know, this past offseason was because he and Dobbins were in that tier for me where I'm more risk-adverse, where that recovery could go either way, right? We could easily be talking about ETN like we are Dobbins right now if he's if he hadn't been ready. Uh, for OTAs if the foot had been re-injured. And I think that risk is still there, but the ceiling is so high that I've moved him up to RB12. Um, And the guy that I want to talk about is my RB11. I have him ranked one spot ahead of Travis Etienne, and it's Cam Akers, who I just traded for in Smash Except One Dynasty League. Um, Everyone's writing off Akers for, I'm not sure why, uh, to be honest, because... He looked like he had a few explosive plays in him when he came back from that Achilles tear uh, in the postseason. Um, there were there were a couple catches, I want to say, where he broke it off for 10, 12 yards afterwards, um, looked elusive. Honestly, the biggest problem was run blocking, right? And that plus the Rams faced some tough defenses in the playoffs, as is expected because of the caliber of opponent you tend to see more in the postseason. But he was significantly better than Daryl Henderson. Uh, even coming back from the Achilles, Sean McVay didn't hesitate to go back to Akers immediately as an almost workhorse in some games. And, and I think that having an entire offseason to continue his rehab on the Achilles, I know that that's like been the death knell for running backs in years past. But we also have really never seen anyone come back from that sort of injury just a few months after uh you know people were writing him off until 2023 and here he was last december playing full workloads in nfl games and i think that the sky is the limit i mean he can be that workhorse we wanted him to be for the rams last offseason before the achilles injury and he's shown that he was already at 70 80 percent last year so if he can get to even 90 percent of where he was before that injury, and he captures 65% of the workload in a Rams offense led by Sean McVay with the quarterback upgrade with Matthew Stafford. 
I mean, top five is is within his realm of possibility, and he's being treated. You can probably get acres plus a first for ETN in some leagues right now. Yeah, that that would be it. I got to go in on that one. I mean, I, one of the guys that he tagged both of us in it. He's been super active lately. It's Lad. It's at IDK. What my name is on Twitter. Uh, he put if Cam Akers hadn't returned so quickly from injury, his value right now would be, and the poll is at 41.9% higher, you know, because I think we, people have that recency bias. And if it was his last time out there was when he was in the, you know, in the playoffs, his rookie year out there balling out versus, you know, this time where he was, was trying to come back for that push. I think it might be a little bit higher myself. Personally, I'm trying to go the other way a little bit and get a 23 first plus something, uh, just because of the profile for me. Like, I, I worry about the Achilles, and I get that. And I think that's something where it's just how you want to look at it, you know. And I think Cam Akers has the potential to be a top 12 running back. And he also, just like Etienne, if either of those go down again, that value is going to drop hard. That's why we talk about insulating those running backs. And that's why I love having these talks because I think sometimes in running backs, you and I have different philosophies, but we put that all out there. And I think at the end of the day, it makes a, a smash accept type you know, blend where we get to really share both ends of the the spectrum and how we look at the running back position. Anything else you want to add or things you're working on before we close it out? Yeah, I mean, just real quick, uh, you know, I have Akers and ETN ranked so closely because we've seen plenty of running backs really struggle with list frank injuries and re-injuries mm-hmm. because of that. So I, I think just because ETN was lightening up at OTAs doesn't mean that his risk is much lower than Cam Akers right now. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, the perception seems to be um, that ETN is this model of health and Akers is this <laughs> decrepit old running back coming back from an Achilles who'll never be. It's, it's all narratives. It's narratives, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. So I, I think uh, the other thing was. And it's also the visor. I mean, you know, Travis ETN looks fire with that visor on. I don't know what it is when I see the running backs have. If Cam Akers wears a visor, I'm moving him up in my rankings. I, I mean, for <laughs> sure. Um, so I, I think, uh, man, I, I can't think of it right now, but there was a podcast I recently saw on Twitter where uh, one of the fantasy PTs uh, was on talking about Dobbins and ETN and all these guys. So go check that out because we're certainly not PTs, but I think it's important to at least understand some of that medical information so you're not just – throwing out injury prone or this guy can't be a hundred percent to really fully understand those situations. But in terms of dynasty, I mean, again, I think the most important thing that we've covered tonight is that it's really team dependent and the valuation dependent um, because some of these running backs are valued so differently um, from league to league. Like I wouldn't sell Barkley for any less than two 2023 20, firsts, but I know in some leagues where you can probably get him for a late 2022 first if you haven't had your rookie draft yet. So, again, you have to kind of feel out the value in your leagues for some of these guys where some GMs are worried about injuries and some are not. So find those buying opportunities. Um, I've got a ton of articles coming out on fan tracks. They're more redraft-oriented right now, but, of course, you can find my dynasty rankings and all that uh, on fan tracks as well. So... Be sure to check those out and, you know, keep tweeting us those questions, right? Uh, we love answering them. We try to answer with, de- or at least I do, with detail when I can. But obviously sometimes time is a factor, so I just say the player that I would rather have um, or link my rankings if it's a simple this or that. But, 
yeah, follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. I love it, guys. And make sure you guys go check out. You see the board behind me if you're on YouTube with Josh Allen, Tom Brady, and the Teen Titans go for my kids. Mine has, uh, you know, I got a Jalen Hurts one on the way that I'm excited about. So go of over course. there, draftkids.co. Yo, you need to get a Trey Lance one, man. Even if it's just like to put up behind you with just the aura of him. Uh, but <laughs> thanks again for tuning in, guys, and enjoy the process.